Alright, turn your Bible, 1 Corinthians 16. We're going to start with a little history lesson that's just going to bless Todd uh, to no end. Is that right, Todd? I can't remember if you introduced it to me or we both discovered it at the same time, but I know when I was reading it, I think you were reading it, and or we've, we've talked about it and have enjoyed this book. Well, here's what I want you to see. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 17. 13 through 17, and we're going to, uh, that's where we're going to park today in our lesson. Now, look at the top of your notes, and here's kind of the subject matter, the topic that we're getting into this morning, and it's this. If there's one essential for always abounding and serving the Lord in His local church, I would say it's endurance. Endurance endurance, perseverance. There's a lot of ways you can say it, but we're going to look at endurance. And I want to start out this lesson, as I thought about this lesson, had it developed, I couldn't help but think of this great book, this great story. It's a true story. It's a historical example of endurance like uh, like really none other that I've ever been exposed to. So I think you're, you're, you're going to at least enjoy this. Um, it's the story of how explorer Ernest Shackleton and his crew on this ship, Endurance, survived a failed attempt to cross the continent of Antarctica. Uh, the South Pole had, ever, had already been discovered, and he had, he had wanted to be a part of that. And once that was discovered, he said, i got to look for something else to do. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a crew of 28 men, and we're going to land on one side of Antarctica, and then we're going to hike across the continent. No one's ever done this. And we're going to go to the South Pole and beyond the South Pole to the other side of the continent. And so on, by 19, uh, on 1914, he set out with his crew on the ship Endurance. Now, the reason he called it Endurance was this. It was his family's motto. What a great motto. This was their motto. By endurance we conquer. This is the legacy of his family. This was the motto of his family. And so he said, man, if I'm going to do something as difficult and challenging and heroic as crossing the Antarctic continent for the first time, I'm going to name my ship Endurance. Well, uh, as you're going to hear in this story, it was no mistake in naming that. I mean, it was an apt name. Now... This map uh, shows Shackleton's Antarctic journey and his, and his escape once his ship, Endurance, was caught in the ice of the Weddell Sea. And so what they wanted to do was they set out from St. Georgia and they went down and they were going to land here and then cross the South Pole to the other side of the continent. The only problem is they got trapped in ice right there. And... And so uh, that's where we're at. So I'll tell you the rest of it. So they got tra trapped in this ice, and they set off. Now, what happened was, by uh, they set sail on December 5th. By January 19th, they're trapped in ice on the shore of Antarctica. They've got these sled dogs. They had to get the dogs off the boat, and they, they, they created what they call uh, dog glues. Dog glue, igloo, dog glues. And they lived in these... These snow houses, and, and it's just a, it's this amazing story. They have all these animals to feed, all these people to feed. By late November, okay, so they get trapped in January in the ice. By late November, the endurance itself is crushed by ice, and they have to abandon ship. 
So, I mean, this, this boat gets in there and literally the ice just crushes and destroys the ship and just, just, they just stand there on this ice and watch their only means of transportation just get crushed. It's crushed in ice and the crew floats on an ice flow for nine months until literally it melts away. You know, it's like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. You know, these cartoons where you get on the ice flow and it gets smaller and smaller and they're just floating and they're hoping it's going to float them on that map, float them back to land. And, and they get really close, but not, not in time. For the first four months of 1916, the crew is adrift on an ice flow that's slowly melting. Now, among the supplies they salvaged from the ship before it was crushed were three lifeboats. And so finally, the, the ice flow gets short enough, small enough that they're like, okay, we got to get in the lifeboats. So they get in these lifeboats and they a, 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 a marathon effort of rowing in five days at sea, they reach an uninhabitable island called Elephant Island. So they make it to land. It's the first time that they have been on solid ground for 497 days. The only problem is the island is uninhabitable. And, and, and so they're not safe yet. So now they got to get off this island. They cannot stay on this island. And they have these three lifeboats. So Shackleton picks five guys and he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make one of these lifeboats. This is an open boat. We're going to try to cover it. They did have a carpenter with them, and so they cover it up a little bit. And basically, we're going to get in this lifeboat and go across the ocean and navigate merely by the stars. They don't have anything. And we're going to navigate by the stars. The only problem is the stars weren't visible most of the time because of the storm was so great. And, and they're going across, and it was just an unbelievable uh, miracle, heroic effort. Their ability to survive vicious freezing storms at sea and navigate by the stars, which were rarely visible, is truly one of the greater achievements uh, in sailing history. They actually land, finally land on the island of South Georgia where they had started. If you remember in the map, they finally get back. How they did it, no one really knows or understands. But the amazing thing is they finally, all of a sudden, they're like, hey, we made it. They're South Georgia. And the only problem is a hurricane blows in. So they still can't get to land. They have to ride out the hurricane. So those of you that were in Barbuda can just imagine what this whole adventure was like. And it was like that. They were in the belly of that boat, sick as could be, and yet they were trying, and they, they, they were starving, they were uh, thirsty, they had, they had limited supplies. It was unbelievable. So finally the hurricane blows over, and they land on the land. And you're reading this book and you think, whew! They made it, don't you? You just think, all right, finally, they made it. No, they are on the wrong side of South Georgia. This is like a snow-encompassed mountainous island of South Georgia. Now they have to hike. And so Shackleton, let's see, what, what did he do? I think he left. It was him and, and like, uh, they left two of the guys back there. Out of their five guys, I think they left three and they took three. Shackleton takes two guys. And we got to climb over these mountains, these ice, uh, ice cliffs. They don't have snowshoes. They don't have ice equipment. They have a 50-foot rope between the three of them, tying together. So if one goes down into the, into the abyss, you know, they can hopefully not be pulled down with the rest of them. So here's what they do. Shackleton and these two guys trek 32 miles over a mountain, a mountainous terrain for 36 hours. I mean, they're like going a mile an hour. I mean, it's unbelievable what they do. They get to the other side. 
But the thing is, they make it, and they look like death warmed over. They don't even look human. And they walk into this, this South Georgia whaling station that they had started out from two years earlier, and they're like, we made it. And they're like, what are you and who are you? And he says, I'm Ernest Shackleton. They can't believe it. Well, well, what do they got to do? They still got to go to the other side of South. They got to sail around the island and pick up the other three guys. And they got their whole crew left on Elephant Island. And so Shackleton says, I got to go get my crew. I've got to go get my crew. And he can't for three different attempts. He cannot go because the ice flows are so great. He can't go get his guys. So after three attempts on the fourth one, he's finally able to set sail and rescue his men who had been left on Elephant Island for four and a half months on an uninhabitable island. It's a miracle they were standing. It's a miracle that they could even do this. As you read this story, and I hope, if you haven't read this book, (laughs) I hope you get more from this lesson than this, but I hope you read this story. Because as you read it, you're just like, endurance. 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 No, endurance. I mean, it's like you just, it is the message of the book. Now, you might say, well, what does this all have to do with abounding and serving in the Lord and his local church? Well, I think that if you're going to always abound in serving the Lord in, and through his church, it's going to be a lot like the voyage of the endurance and his crew. It is going to be like that. It has been like that for me in my life. I'm sure any of you have served the Lord for any length of time. You're like, oh, there, I finally have arrived. You know, I finally, now we're in a flow, right? And then what happens? Hurricane winds. Oh, Finally, I made it through that storm. Now we're going to be on it. No, we got to ma- we got to hike over this icy terrain. Oh man, we got to rescue people. Oh, I've got some of my team left behind. I got to go get them. I think the endurance modeled by Shackleton and his crew is a lot like the endurance of Stephanus and his household in First Corinthians sixteen fifteen. Both Shackleton and Stephanus are examples of endurance that we can follow in order to always abound in serving the Lord in His local church. We're talking about always abounding, and right now we're talking about always abounding in serving the Lord through His church. And so we've seen the historical example. I can't encourage you enough. You can see the movie, you can read the book. But let's look at the scriptural example of endurance that we have in this chapter. It's the story how Stephanus and his household were always abounding and serving the Lord in his local church. So let's dive in and look at it. It's verses 13 through 16. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 16. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brethren, here's the example of endurance. You know the household of Stephanus, and they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. They are always abounding in serving the Lord through His local church that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors, 
hard in the work. So let's take a look at this today. This passage tells us how we can all be examples of endurance in serving the Lord. And you see see there in your notes in the box, it says, Those who always abound in serving the Lord in His local church are examples of endurance as they kneel down and as they man up. I see in this passage two-step process. If you're going to endure in ministry, in local church ministry, you've got to kneel down and then you've got to man up. So let's take a look at it. It's real simple. Number one, kneel down. Dedicate your life. Dedicate your life to serving the Lord and His local church. Just kneel down. Just lay down before the Lord and say, You are the head of the church. You're the Lord of my salvation. I dedicate myself to serving you and your people. This is the example of Stephanus and verses and his household. And why that's important. Because first of all, Stephanus is not a pastor. He's not a missionary. He's not like Mark Buxton. He's not like the pastors we have here at our church. He's just a business guy. He's a layman like most of you. He and his household, men and women, young and old, we can all dedicate ourselves to serving the Lord in his local church. Now, we've been studying in in chapter 15 about first fruits. And the thing he says here about Stephanus is very critical. They were the first fruits of Achaia. And so here's the example that we get. First fruits, Stephanus and his household were first fruits that are still abounding in serving the Lord in his local church. Now, first fruits means a couple things. It means they were the first to convert when Paul planted the church four years earlier. So here's the first people. They got on board, and guess what? They haven't jumped ship. Amen? That's just cool. That's just awesome. See, they're enduring. Hey, they started out, and they're still going, and Paul expects every reason to expect they're going to finish well. They were the first to convert back when he planted the church. You can read that story in Acts 18. And you can read in Acts 18, Paul had all sorts of persecution in Corinth, and there's no reason to think that Stephanus and his household didn't face the same persecution. Look, I know things are getting worse in our culture, and they will continue to get worse. I'm not running for president, so I can tell you the truth. The best days, the greatness of America isn't necessarily on the horizon. If it is, it will be due to sovereign revival, not to a political party. Things are going to get worse. Things are going to get worse. And if it doesn't, praise God, I was wrong. Don't stone me. I'm not a prophet. But you know what? If they do, you be thankful that you have shepherds that are telling you, look, it's going to get worse and we need to get ready. But guess what? We have examples of endurance here. Stephanus, he got saved. His household got saved. They faced the obstacles and they continued on. First fruits also means, uh, as you know from the Old Testament, the first fruits were dedicated to the service of the Lord. That's why he calls them first fruits, because they devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. And so they not only got saved, but they dedicated themselves to serving the Lord. And first fruits also means they are the first of more to come. The first fruits meant, hey, this is good and there's going to be more good like it 
coming down in the harvest. And sure enough, he says in verse 16, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone. Paul's saying, look, they were the first to get saved. They dedicated themselves to serving. They're still abounding. And guess what? They're great examples of endurance for you to follow. They have a long obedience in the right direction. At one point, they had never heard and were lost. They heard and they responded. And then they responded and dedicated themselves. And so we see the second thing I want you to see under this is that they are first fruits that dedicate themselves to serving the Lord and the church. Now, what does that mean? What's it mean to dedicate yourself to serving the Lord and His church? I see at least three aspects in these two verses that, that can help us explain. What does it mean to dedicate yourself to serving the Lord? Because I don't want to just keep using a phrase like that, and you think it means one thing, I, mean, I think it means another, and we don't see what it says in the Bible. So the first thing it means is this, serving and helping. He says he dedicated themselves to the ministry. It's the Greek word diakonos, and it means to serve. It's where we get the idea of a deacon. They are servants. Serving and then helping. Notice he says, and everyone who helps. Those are two great words. In fact, they are both gifts of the Holy Spirit. Serving and helping. And here's what serving means. Are you ready? It's pretty profound. You're going to want to write it down. It means meeting the needs of others. Yeah, but what needs? Meeting the needs of others. You know, how? Meeting the needs. Just meeting the needs of others. But what does help mean? Help is a cool word. Because it just doesn't mean to help people. It means to assist people so that they are free to do what they do best in meeting the needs of others. Are you with me? So, uh, uh, Audra back there running sound is helping me. She is freeing me by running that sound so I don't have to run over there and, and take away from my teaching time so I can do what I do best. All right? That's, you see how that's what helping means. A lot of you, so some people like to meet the needs and some people like to go up to someone and say, how can I help you? How can I free you up to do what I know you're gifted to do? Jackie, doing the treats down there. You're helping. You're, assist, you're freeing me up so that I don't have to do that. And yet, you're also doing what? Serving, meeting the donut needs of this classroom. Okay? So it's all critical. It's all important. But so you can see by serving, you're also helping. That's what it means. Hey, listen, our church would not operate if we didn't have people that were dedicated to serving and helping. We don't have 27 missionaries in this room getting equipped in cross-cultural training if we don't have people dedicated to serving and helping, doing the sound like Todd did, taking care of the kids like a host of ladies did. And it just ministry doesn't happen without these two things, serving and helping. Secondly, what does it mean to dedicate myself? To, ser to serving in the church, it means working and laboring. He says, he says in verse 17, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse 16, that you be in subjection to such men, to everyone who helps in the work and labors. Now, all throughout this series, I've been, I've been wearing you down with these two words, working and laboring. What does work mean in the Greek? It means, are you ready? It means work. 
Work means work. There's no way to make work any, you know, it's not the vacation in the Lord, it's work in the Lord. And guess what? Work is hard, and laboring means hard. So when you're dedicating yourself to serving the church, this isn't the glory train we're on, it's the work train. It's hard. You get tired, I get tired. You get worn out. I get worn out, but we are dedicated to getting worn out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the pendulum swings, and right now we're in a baby boom. We got the impact of the baby boomers in Christianity and the millennials, and, and the idea of, of wearing yourself out in ministry is not popular. I get that. We're not saying you don't take a vacation. We're not saying any of that. But the bottom line is you cannot eliminate the hard, gut-grinding work of the ministry. And if you're in it for the fun times and the easy times, you won't abound and you won't endure. That's just the way it is. It's hard work. I call it grinding it out by God's grace. You're not just doing it in the power of the flesh, but you are grinding it out. But you're like, God, give me the grace to grind it out. This is a rut. This is a routine. It's not all mountaintops. I'm not Peter. Hey, let it be world outreach every week of the year. It's not like that. And guess what? World outreach doesn't happen without serving, helping, laboring, and working. First impressions, why do we need people to host? Because we need people to serve and help in that area. And listen, if you're a part of that ministry or you're thinking about that ministry, that ministry far more important than hanging out with Amber Blummer and, and drinking tea, as great as that opportunity is. Hey, if you're not going to do first impressions, go do that. Go do that. That's why we're offering that. But at the same time, we've got to get people dedicated to greet. I'm so, Jody greeted me this morning. Now, Pat was there helping you too. Did you recruit him? I don't know. He was just there. Pat, you did a great job. He was there helping Jody, greeting. But Jody's there, and, and, and the dollars. Were you guys greeting today? Awesome. Isn't it great? Randy? Awesome. Good stuff. All right. So, that's the thing. Third thing about this is surrendering and volunteering. The third thing I see about this, when you are dedicating yourself, it's just that. You are dedicated. You know, as much as pastors would like to install a draft, it just doesn't work that way. It may feel that way in the Philippines at times. I don't know. That's, that's a personal issue. But, uh, uh, but you can't install a draft. The head of the church is there. And by the way, we don't need to install a draft. You know why? Because the head of the church has already drafted you the moment you got saved. He already gave you the spiritual gift. He already called you into His service. What you need to do is step up and answer the call. Answer the draft of the Lord Jesus Christ. Volunteering. Well, first of all, dedicating in the sense of uh, surrendering yourself. And this word means to just put yourself in a position of where you say, Here I am. Use me. Now, some of you may be like me where you literally did that. You got up out of a pew, you knelt down at an altar, and you positioned yourself physically, emotionally, spiritually, ignorantly, with no clue what it really was going to mean, but you knew it's what God wanted you to do. And you just said, Lord, here I am, send me. Use me. I, I surrender myself. And it means volunteering. This is something no one can do for you. You've got to do it yourself. You dedicate yourself and so here's how I summarize it. They voluntarily knelt down and said to the Lord, 
I will work hard at serving your people and helping others to do the same. I will voluntarily work hard at serving your people and helping others to do the same. Now, who are the saints and where do they gather? Well, all throughout the New Testament, they gather in local churches. doesn't have to be a building. It can be under a tree, in a hut, in Africa. But God's people gather, and when they gather, we minister to each other's needs. We may be in small groups surround, scattered throughout the city, or but always corporately on the Lord's Day. That's where they're at. And when you say serving the saints, I don't want you, I can't spend a lot of time on this, but I don't, I don't want you to just think, only believers, because every saint was an unbeliever. And Paul said, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain salvation. So the, the, my point is this, when you dedicate to serving the saints, you're dedicating yourself to evangelism of people who have not yet heard and have not yet gotten saved, but you know they're out there. In the workplace, at school, there are people who have been chosen of God before the foundation of the world, but they're not going to get saved without the gospel, and they are going to be saints. We just don't know it yet until we share the good news with them and they respond. Amen? So it's evangelism. And when they respond, they're saved. Then we serve them in the church. That's discipleship. But also, Stephanus and uh, two, I believe, his household are helping Paul get the gospel to people who have never heard. So when you surrender yourself to serve the church, just don't think, you know, of one thing or don't think real narrowly. Understand that whatever you're doing in a Great Commission church is helping people to get saved, it's helping them to grow in Christ, and it's helping to get the gospel to the rest of the world. That's pretty cool for handing out donuts and coffee. Okay? That doesn't happen at Dunkin'. It doesn't happen at Starbucks. Anybody can hand out donuts. Are you with me? You can get coffee anywhere. But here, you're getting those needs met in order to be in a better environment, in a better attitude. Hopefully, it gives you a better a sugar high so you can learn from God. Okay? Now, how did they do it? Here's how they did it. We're not told exactly how, but we know they did it. But here's what we know from the rest of Corinthians. First, they gave themselves to the Lord out of love. First, give yourself to the Lord out of love. Now, why do I say this? I say it because of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul's trying to get the Corinthians, these same Corinthians, to give according to God's grace. And he says, I want you to do it the way the Macedonians did it. And here's what he says in verse 5, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 5. And this, not as we had expected, but first they gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Listen, if you're going to dedicate yourself to serving other people, first dedicate yourself to the Lord. You got to just just give it to him. I hey listen, 3 months after I got saved, I dedicated myself, didn't really understand everything, but I wasn't telling the Lord what I was going to do. I was just telling him, "Lord, I'll do anything you want. Go anywhere you want. I'm a senior. I have no clue about college. I don't know what you want me to do. It doesn't matter. I'm giving you a blank check." That's how it starts. 
Secondly, why did they, under that, why did they do that? 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Chapter 15, he rose. Chapter 16, we dedicate ourselves to the one who has risen for us. So having given yourself to the Lord, then they gave themselves to serving his people. Then they gave themselves to serving his people. Because listen, if Christ is the head of the church, every head that's living has a body. And if you're dedicated to serving the head, then you're dedicated to serving the, the body. And so this idea is, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. There's titles, book titles. That's popular right now. Love Jesus, hate the church. Well, you don't love Jesus if you hate the church. Yeah, but I don't like it. It's messy and, and people are, 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 are sinful and proudful. And, and guess what? The more you talk, the more I'm seeing those same attributes in you. Just come on and join us. Come on and join us because we're all messed up. And God is using us. He is using us to accomplish His purposes. So here's my question for you. Have you ever knelt down and dedicated your life to serving the Lord in and through His local church? And it starts with this church because that's the church you're at. It starts with this church. doesn't mean you're going to sign up for life. That's not the idea. The idea is wherever I am, wherever I go. One of the things when I always talk to our college kids, hey, where are you going to go to church? Someone says they're going to move. Great. Where, have you checked out the churches yet? Why? Because we ought to all be dedicated to serving the Lord. Has that ever happened? You may not know uh, exactly when it happened. It may not have been dramatic but you know you've done it or you know you haven't done it. And let me say this. If you're not sure you've done it, then do it today. And that way you know. You know that I've given it all. I've given him a blank check. It may have happened the moment you were saved. It may have come three months after you were saved, like, I, like it did for me when I was 17. May happen when you were 13, like my wife on the a dock in the Amazon jungle. I doubt if that happened, you happened that way, but it did for her. Uh, you may have already dedicated yourself to serving the Lord, but really you're not saved. That was uh, Todd's mother's testimony. She, she dedicated to serving the Lord, went to Bible college, married a pastor, Tyrone, in youth ministry, and then realized, wait a minute, I'm not saved. The point is this. If you're going to endure in always abounding and serving the Lord like Stephanus and his household, you need to kneel down and dedicate yourself to serving the Lord and his people. And this includes <clears throat> getting your toes stepped on, stepping on each other's toes. This is what it includes. It includes submitting ourselves to one another and everyone who helps in this work and who labors. You need to kneel down and dedicate yourself to serving the Lord. Now, dedicating yourself is one thing. Always abounding, that's another. Kneeling down's a start. But along the way, you're going to hit ice flows, you're going to hit hurricanes, you're going to hit problems, and having knelt down, you got to man up. Are you ready? So let's take a look at that. Man up. Determined to always abound. 
determined to always abound. Now that you have knelt down and dedicated yourself to serving the Lord, and you've gotten up and you started doing it, and you hit your first roadblock, or maybe even before you hit it, just man up and say, you know what, I'm going to determine to always abound in serving the Lord. Now, here's where we see not only the example of Stephanus, but we see the endurance. So when I read verses 15 and 16, listen, if you're a believer, and you're a believer that's hungry for the Lord, you can't read 15 and 16 and not say, I want to be like that. Okay, I want to be like that, and I want to help others to be like that. Now, how did they get that way? Well, Paul gave us the answer in the the verses right before it, verses 13 and 14. How do you become an example of endurance? What are the five essentials for enduring? There they are, 13 and 14. Look in your Bibles. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Hey, if you those are like five bullets in your gun and you can shoot down every obstacle, you can overcome every opposition with those five things. So let's take a look at it, the endurance of Stephanus and his household. Five essentials for endurance in serving. Number 1, stay alert in prayer. Stay alert in prayer. He says stay be on the alert. How do you be on the alert? Well, when you study through Bible, the way you stay alert to the enemy's ways to discourage you is through prayer. Listen, those who are always abounding and serving, they're not spiritual sluggards. You can't abound in serving the Lord and be lazy at the, at the same time. You've got to stay spiritually awake. And the way you do that in prayer, now I'm not going to take you through all the, all the great study. You can do a whole study on this, but prayer is essential in staying alert. And let me give you two ways that it's essential. Number one, Pray that you won't let your guard down to temptation. Paul, uh, Paul, Jesus said to, to the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, on the night before he was going to the cross, watch and pray with me, lest you enter into temptation. When Jesus taught us to pray on a daily basis, he taught us to pray these words. And I prayed them this morning for me, for my family. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I, I, can't, I, I can't explain to you how it works, but I know I've experienced this. When I pray, I become spiritually alert. When I don't, I'm physically, mentally, and spiritually asleep. Are you with me? Stay alert through prayer. Number two, pray that you won't stop looking, longing, and living for Christ's soon return. I cannot tell you how much chapter 16 is connected to 15. In chapter 15, Christ is risen. He is risen, and the the glorious plan of His soon return is laid out for us in 15. And Paul gave this parable, or Paul, I'm entranced on Paul today. Jesus gave this parable in Mark 13. He said, here's what our life is like as a believer. It's like a man going on a journey, and when he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. That's the greeter, Jody. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. 
And what I say to you, I say to all, Jesus said. Stay awake. Literally, that's what he says. What's he saying is, look, I've, I've gifted you for ministry in the local church. You're working. Now stay awake. Stay alert. When I come, I want to find you active, abounding in the work of the Lord. Wow. Don't stop longing, looking, and living for the Lord's return. Here's what Jesus, the risen Lord, in Revelation 3, here's what he says to the church at Sardis, and it's so applicable to this lesson. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. I can tell you, every one of us here, myself, all of us, Christ is looking at us and saying, your works aren't complete yet. Your works aren't complete yet. Stay alert in prayer. Stay alert in prayer. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. So first step in endurance, stay alert in prayer. Secondly, stand firm in the word. Stand firm in the word. He says, Stand firm in the faith. And when he says it that way, and when you see this word, stand firm, this verb, stand firm, it's very clear in Scripture. It means stand firm in the Word of God. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.15. Here's what he says. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that were taught by us, either by our spoken word, which would be what? teaching and preaching, or by our letter, which is reading. So what are the two ways you're going to stand firm in the Word? Help me out. Reading this book and memorizing, but listening to teaching and preaching. Okay, so that it's that simple. Listen, you can't be so busy working for the Lord that you don't spend time hearing from the Lord. You can't be so busy in the work of the Lord, you don't take time to study His Word. Listen, even a guy like Billy Graham says that if he had it to do over again, he, 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 he like prepared three years and, 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 and preached 30. He'd study for 30 to preach for three. What is he saying? He's saying, look, you can't prepare enough. Uh, now, we got to do both. But the idea is you got to know the Word of God. Now... Let me help you, with do the, uh, help you with this. Applying God's Word is essential to standing firm in the Word. So, it's not just reading the Bible. It's not just hearing the Bible. What is it? It's applying what you hear. It's applying what you, what you are reading. You want to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. And so, the first thing to do with the Word of God in ministry is let it save you and change you. Let it save you and change you. First Corinthians or Second Timothy three fifteen and sixteen. You know why Timothy was such a great servant? Because from an early from his childhood he had heard and been taught the word of God. It saved him. And then listen to this: all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training. Hey, you know one of the greatest dangers 
in a great church like ours is that you just keep hearing the teaching and the preaching and you forget that all this teaching and preaching is for training you, it's for rebuking us, it's for correcting us, and it's for changing the direction of our lives. It's for application. But having let it save you and change you, the second thing you need to do is share it to save others and change others. Share it in order to save others and change others. Why do we have the Word of God working on us? Well, 2 Timothy 3.17, that the man of God may be equipped uh, uh, complete, equipped for, for uh, I'm messing it all up, equipped for every good work. Equipped for every good work. You're sitting here right now so that you can be better equipped to serve in a ministry. Whatever that ministry is. That's what it is. You're sitting here right now with God's people so that Monday you're better equipped to share with lost people. How did this just help you with lost people? Oh, I'm supposed to share tomorrow. That helps you with lost people. All right? You know, last week, I just got to throw this out, in our grow group, we had such a great time. Uh, we're, so we're going over uh, chapter 8, the first part of Acts 8, and we were talking about scattering, you know, how God scatters us, right? And so we just went around the room. I think we had about 17 people there, uh, 16, 17 people. And we all said, where are we going to be Monday? And it was so cool to go around this room. And we're all, except for two, two students going to the same school, all 17 people are in totally different places. We were scattered throughout the city. And why were we scattered? Because we had gathered to be changed by God's word, and now we're scattered to share it. And where everybody else was, I wasn't going to be. And, wherever, and where I was, they weren't going to be. And, you know, so I witnessed Tuesday to Kim and Dana, and we're still working on them. Uh, so I, witness, I always try to witness at work, don't I, Dana? No comment, no comment. Well, we, are, we all do witness at work, don't we? Step, uh, uh, central number three, step forward in obedience. Number three, step forward in obedience. Now, this is where I get the idea of man up. There's a lot of ways to translate this phrase, act like men. You can say, be, it can be translated, be bold, be courageous, be brave. But I still like that translation, act like men. That's literally what it, what it means. Literally what it means is act like men. Now, immediately you're thinking, is God a male chauvinist? Do I, do I have, you know, is this a transgender thing? What's going on here? Is that a good translation? Is it a bad translation? The answer is no, 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 no. Men... From, Genesis, from the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, men are to be initiators, leaders, and influencers. And what Paul is saying is this. In Christ, whether you're a man or a woman, when it comes to ministry, act like a man. Be a leader. Be an influencer. Be an initiator. Step, and I, can, I can't make it any more practical than this. Step forward in obedience. Move! Get busy for the Lord. Amen? Alright. Now, what's it? What, here's the thing. There's a time for praying and reading. We've already seen that today. 
But there's a time for action. There's a time to man up and do what God has said. Oh, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll serve the Lord, at, you know, after, you know, uh, after uh, our after our honeymoon. You know, I'll serve the Lord after we get established in our jobs. I'll serve the Lord uh, after we have this baby. I'll serve the Lord after they get out of middle school. I'll serve the Lord after they get out of high school. I'll serve the Lord once I've got my entire retirement set up. I'll serve the Lord after I'm retired. And all of a sudden, you're in ICU, and you're about to go see Jesus, and what haven't you done? You haven't served the Lord. And let me tell you, it takes endurance to serve Him in all those seasons. And they don't get any easier, okay? They don't get... So if you don't figure it out now, you're not going to figure it out in the next one, because it doesn't get easier. And so, it's just a time to man up. Now, here's what you can do. Take the initiative to follow Christ is essential to stepping forward. If you look at Joshua chapter 1, Joshua hears these famous words, be strong and courageous. It's the same word. It's just the Hebrew way of saying, act like a man. And here's three things to do to start moving, uh, moving from point A to B in ministry. Number one, give yourself to helping others possess all that God has promised to them. Just give yourself to helping others. Get your focus off you. Help others possess what God has promised. Number two, obey all that God has commanded you to do. You've heard it from the Word. You've prayed about it. Now obey it. And then number three, trust God to never leave you or forsake you. Trust God. You say, I'm scared to get in ministry. Trust God. Hey, I'm I'm not sure about, you know, I'm facing an obstacle right now. Trust God. Trust God. I, you know, and I'm as guilty as this because I have no shortage of Bible knowledge. But I think so often we know so much, but we're so weak on trusting to actually obey it in spite of what we can see, in spite of what we fear in spite of what we think. We just don't trust. Trust. Step out. He's going to be there with you. Number four, seek strength from the Lord. Seek strength from the Lord. He says, it says here, be strong. It says be strong, but in actuality, that verb is passive. It should be translated, be strengthened. Be strengthened. And who's going to strengthen me? The Lord. Now, I'm not going to do anything on this because we're going to have a whole lesson on being strong in the Lord. Okay, so that's going to come next week. So, for now, just realize trusting in the gospel is essential to seeking strength from the Lord. And then number five, saturate everything with love. Saturate everything with love. Saturate everything with love. I love how he says, verse 14, let all that you do, let all that you do, let all that you do be done in what? In love. And you know what? Paul practiced what he preached. How does he end this letter to some of the most unlovable people in the New Testament? He ends it with these words, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. See, 
There, there's the idea. How did Paul find the strength to love the unlovely? How did he find the strength to endure and to be loving in the process? Because, you know, have you ever met people that persevere in things, but they're bitter? They're angry? By golly, I'm sticking to it, and I hate every minute of it. All right? We've all met, and there's, those, those people are in work, and they're in churches. Okay? But here's the difference. Here is the difference is to persevere and endure and to have the loving heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Now, you too can be an example of endurance. You know how Ernest Shackleton, they say, this hasn't been proven, but the, 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 uh, uh, the urban legend is that he put an ad in the newspaper to recruit these 28 men, and here's the ad. Men wanted for hazardous journey. Low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in event of success. Okay? And boy, he, he, didn't, he wasn't underplaying it. I mean, that's exactly what happened. You know what? That sounds a lot like the verses I have there in your, at the end of this lesson. That, that could be an advertisement for serving the Lord. It's going to be hard. It's going to be brutal. It's going to be difficult. But success is guaranteed, and the rewards are worth it. And so, I just ask you today to do two things. Check and see, have you ever knelt down and dedicated yourself to serving the Lord? And then secondly, those that have done that, did you, you also need to be ready to man up and determine, I'm going to always abound. I'm going to stay alert in prayer. I'm going to stand firm in the Word. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, what are the other, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, act like a man. I'm going to be, I'm going to take the initiative to obey. I'm going to be strengthened in the gospel. And above all, I'm going to saturate everything I do with love. Amen. Man, that's just good stuff. That's good. Let's pray. Father, I, I ask that by your grace and through the love that you've shown us in dying for us and rising for us, reigning for us and someday returning for us. I pray that by your love, we would kneel down and dedicate ourselves first to you and then to serving your people. And right now, right here in this local church. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to man up. We all need to be reminded of these five essentials. And some of them are basic, but basic training is essential for spiritual warfare. Lord, help us to man up and to endure, just like Stephanus and his household. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.